Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Good morning. Great to see you, church. Hope you're doing well. Uh, and isn't Kira good when she does these announcements? We were just having a discussion, discussion earlier about some of us feel like, oh, that looks like such an easy thing to do. And you get up there and you do it and it just doesn't come across anywhere near as good. She does a fantastic job. Anyway, it's great to be seeing you this morning. Welcome. Those of you who are joining us online, um, if you're a regular at Restore, if you're new, if this is your first time, we are so glad to have you. Please introduce yourself in the chat. There's even private ways you can do that. We'd love to be able to in- interact with you and answer any questions that you might have. So if you're on our church app this morning, make sure you do jump in the chat. If you haven't got the church app, as uh, Kira said, please download it. It's on our website. It's a very, very easy thing to do. Now, this morning, we'll be looking at the story of Lazarus, a well-known story. If you've grown up in church or you've been around church for a while, you'll know the story of Lazarus. It's in John chapter 11. Now, that's, it's a big read. It's, it's 44 verses in all. I'm not going to cover everything. I'm just going to cover a few things this morning. And that stuff's already pre-populated in your app. So you can watch and interact on the chat and look at your notes all at the same time. So this morning, what the topic I want to look at is this. We only learn this by going through that. We only learn this by going through that. And this morning, because I I really believe that this is a word for some people this morning, that God is really going to speak to us, I would like you to, to, as a prayer, type something in the chat for me. Just tap, what's my this? What's my this? This can be your prayer. What's my this? Because you want the Lord this morning to show you what your this actually is. Right, so we've got a bit to get through, so we're going to jump straight in. I'm going to start in verse 1 here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, the first thing I want us to to get into our heads this morning is this. Faith is not an equation. Now, I know, I realise we know that, like we, we know that, theoretically we know that. But I want us to really know that, to understand that faith is not an equation. Because sometimes we can fall into the trap when we're desperate, when we really want something, of feeling like it actually is, that there are things we can do that will somehow twist the arm of God to give us the outcome that we want. You know what I mean by this. If I do X, God will do Y and and, and Z will be the outcome. You know, God will give me what I want if I do the things that he wants. Now, the first month after my surgery last year, I spent a lot of time um, praying. I I needed to. There was a big battle going on in my head and I just needed to spend a lot of time making sure that I was was sort of trying to win that sort of war in my mind. And and, and I was doing a lot of meditating and, and I was reading this book on communion on the Lord's Supper because... It's a really powerful thing, communion, the Lord's Supper. And one day I I might even do some teaching on that because I think it's something we don't fully comprehend how powerful it actually is. So I was reading this book and and getting my faith, could feel my faith sort of welling up inside me. And one day before I read this book, I'm sitting there and and I just, 
I was just praying to God, like, God, I know you can heal. Like, I know you can heal. But can you restore? Like, I know in the Bible you did this stuff. You would heal lepers and their skin would be as new and people would get their sight back. And, you know, and I've been through some stuff and I just don't want to be healed. Could you, could you restore me to full healness? Is that even a possibility? The next story, this is, this is the truth. The next story I read when I open up that book is a story of a pastor who is in hospital in his last weeks of life and he's dying from kidney cancer. And his family has come in to say goodbye to him, but, but another local pastor hears about this. He's known to him in some way and he comes into the hospital to him, not to say goodbye, but says to him, brother, I, I really feel like you need to take communion and you need to take communion every single day and you need to pray because I believe God's gonna heal you through this. And so this guy does. He's in a palliative care unit, right? But he begins to take communion every single day. Well, the long, long story short, he walks out of the palliative care unit completely free of cancer. And when they do tests on him, they find that his kidneys are like a teenage boy's kidneys. That's the sort of healing and restoration he's experienced. So you can imagine what I do, right? I go, hey, here I am praying for something. God, can you do this? And the next thing is you give me a story. Wow, that's my answer. So for the next three months, I spend my time taking communion every single day and praying God, you're not just going to heal me, you're going to restore me. I'm doing this because it worked for him, it's going to work for me. Well, I go back to the specialist, I get my results. Not only am I not healed, things have got worse. <clears throat> Some of us have been through that type of thing, yeah? Now, it can be so easy for us to want for there to be a surefire way for getting God to do the thing that we want. And not because we're selfish, not because we're spoiled or entitled or anything like that, but because we're desperate because we need something, because we really want something. There's something that's so important to us. We need God to come through for us because it's something that only God can do. And we feel like that, that, that in order to get him to do that, there are things that we must do. So we pray boldly, we, we fast, you know, we pray in tongues, we declare things, we, we walk around rooms yelling at, at the demonic forces. We do all those things. We go to church, we tithe, we repent of our sins, we repent of other people's sins if we think that'll help, you know. We do whatever we can to try and say, God, you know, come, come through for me. And it's not that there's anything wrong with doing any of those things. Those things are good in and of themselves. There's, there's nothing wrong with them. Except when we begin to see them and use them as some sort of formula, as some sort of leverage to get God to do what we want. And I mean, if anyone ticked any of those boxes that qualified for, for having good standing before God to get God to do what he wanted, it would be this guy, Lazarus, right? The, word, the name Lazarus, it actually comes from the Hebrew word Eleazar, which means the one God has helped. The Greek word Lazarus just means the one that God helps. We're told that, that Jesus loves Martha, Mary and Lazarus and, and that Mary, is, 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 Mary Lazarus' sister, is the one that actually washed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and dried them with her hair. You know, I mean, if anyone's got connections and has got standing, I mean, this guy's a, a triple threat as far as blessings go, right? He's got all of this in his favour. Bethany was the place where Jesus used to love to stay when he was walking. You know, gee, this guy's got connections. If, if God's going to answer anyone's prayer, if God's going to do something for anyone, it, it'd be for these people, right? But, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And those details, the, the, the name of Lazarus, the fact that Jesus loves him, the connections, all that, they're not, they're not insignificant details that John puts in the story. Why? Because he wants us to realise something, that it's so easy 
for us to connect how we think God feels about us with what we think God will do for us. You with me? It's, it's sometimes we fall into that trap of thinking that how we think God feels about us is connected in some way with what we think God will actually do for us. And, and it's true, isn't it? I mean, we're tempted to think that there's a connection between our performance and therefore our standing before God and therefore our standing in terms of favour if God's going to actually do something for us. If I'm good and I believe and I tick all the right boxes then God is pleased with me and it's more likely that he's actually going to answer that prayer. He's going to come through for me in some way and we haven't pulled that out of thin air. We're taught that sometimes. I mean it's there in the Bible if you want to be really strictly literal about it I mean there are things that say if you do this then this will happen you know and that's the sort of stuff that's in there and sometimes when we don't get the answers we want we're just left wondering what happens we begin to reverse engineer it and and there are those of us who tend to be particularly hard on ourselves um, who tend to think that I didn't get that because there must be some sort of fault on my part there must be some sort of deficiency some sort of shortcoming on my part and that's the reason I don't get the answer. That's the reason I'm not getting the, um, I'm not getting the breakthrough that I'm looking for. There's a problem of mine. And the problem with thinking like that is that it all rests on the assumption that somehow God has obligated himself to act on our behalf if we perform in a certain way. That if we do X, God has painted himself into this cosmic corner where if we do X, he is obliged to do Y so that Z is the outcome. And Jesus addresses both of those fallacies in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He says, look, don't be like the religious people who think it's their personal piety that gets them answers from God, right? They front up, they basically remind God how good they are, all the things they do for God. Therefore, they have this expectation that everything's going to work out for them. And then he says, and don't be like the pagans, don't be like the superstitious bunch who babble on and on and on, who think that their many words are going to get them some, who think that that some sort of ritual or whatever rain dance they think is, is in vogue these days is going to twist the arm of God to do what they want. He says, don't be like that at all. He says, no. He says, here's what you need to do when you pray. You need to... You need to come to your heavenly father. You need to remember he's your heavenly father and you need to come to him as simply and honestly as you can because he already knows what you need and he loves you. It's not a performance. And as we saw last week, sometimes, sometimes there are no words. The best we can do is come to God in, with our tears, with our fears. That's the best we can do. And Jesus reminds us that sometimes that's all you actually have to do. But here's the thing that's important to note in that. God is not a machine that we can program into action. He is a father. And as a father, he has his reason, reasons for what he will or won't do and when he would do these things. See, it's, it's a relationship. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship that we are involved in. If how God feels about us determines what God will do for us, then Lazarus was a shoo-in because of all the things I've mentioned about him. But, but Jesus didn't do what they wanted. Jesus didn't even do as they needed. Not because he didn't love them, but in a strange way, as we're going to, about to see in a way that I, I struggled to get my mind around a little bit, but because he did love them. Because he did love them. See, sometimes love 
Love looks like showing up late and not for church and not for online church because we can see what time you log on. I'm going to read from verse 4. You can't hear the sniggering and the laughing that's going on in here. We're going to read from verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so. See, when I read that, I expect to see a but there in that sentence. But, used as a conjunction, joins an idea that follows from the preceding idea when it's different, right? In the sense that you might be able to say, it was a beautiful day, but there was a cyclone. So when the following idea is different from the idea that precedes it, but is a thing that joins them. But there's no but in that sentence. There's no but, there's a, there's a so. And when so is used as a conjunction, it's used to, to indicate that, 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 that there's something that happens or there's someone that does something is doing so because of the thing that you've just said. So, you know, Johnny scored a goal, so we congratulated him. Right? You see how it works. So, so I would expect the sentence to read like this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but he stayed where he was two more days. Or you could read it in terms of the outcome. He loved them, but he stayed where he was and Lazarus died because that's exactly what happens. But no, John says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was two more days. He stayed where he was two more days. Because he loved them, he stayed where he was and didn't rush to heal Lazarus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can pass on that type of love. I really do. I feel like I can pass on that type of love. It is the antithesis of my understanding of love. I mean, doesn't love demand that if it is within our power to do something for someone, that we do it? Yeah. Yes, 100%. Except, except when that thing might actually be bad for them, no matter how much they want it. And if you've had kids, you know what that's like. Or when we have something that's even better for them. They may need to wait, but the, but the end result is going to be better. See, they knew that Jesus could heal, right? Here's, here's the thing with Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. They knew that Jesus could heal. They had heard about it. They'd seen it. That's why they called him. You know, Jesus, come and do that thing that you do. Our brother is sick. Come and do that thing that you do. Come and heal Lazarus. But he stayed where he was, even after telling his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. Was Jesus wrong? I mean, did he, was it just a bad call on his part? Because Lazarus actually did die. If you know the story, you know that Lazarus actually dies. No, Lazarus dies, but it doesn't end in death. Death is not the end of the story. Death doesn't have the final stay. Death isn't where this story is going. It's not what this story is about. This story finishes 
with them seeing and experiencing Jesus as more than they ever thought he was. They used to call him teacher. They knew he was a healer. Bethany, the place, the village they come from, Bethany literally means the house of affliction, the house of the sick. And Jesus used to love to go there. Are you telling me they hadn't seen him heal more than a few times? They knew that Jesus could teach. They knew that Jesus could heal. They knew that he was considered to be a prophet. And that just frightened the living daylights out of all of us. Um, that he knew that he was a prophet, okay? They knew all that. And later on in the story, we see that Martha believed in the future resurrection of the dead. She said, I believe in the future resurrection of the dead. She knew that one day Lazarus would rise again. But they didn't know who Jesus was. And they didn't know that that resurrection wasn't just an event in the future. It was a person who was standing right in front of them now. This is why Jesus hung back for a little while. The lateness was so that they could learn that Jesus was more than they thought. He wasn't just a healer. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the resurrection and the life. And that's how the story ends. That is actually the point of this story. This was a transformational moment for them where they realized that this Jesus that they loved and had hung around with, he was the Messiah. He was so much more than they thought he was. Now, this can be really hard for us, but there are times where we don't get the thing we want to happen because in love, God is giving us the opportunity to experience something we need to learn. You with me on that? Sometimes we don't get the thing we want to happen because in love, God has hung back. So we get to experience and therefore learn, okay, the thing we need. Maybe Jesus' lateness is so we can have a greater revelation or understanding of who he is. I mean, maybe we've got the theology down pat. You know, you are Christ, the son of the living God. We would pass the exam. But biblically, to know, the Greek word is gnosko, to know someone is to know them intimately through experience. It's not a head knowledge thing. It's not a theoretical, academic thing. To know someone is to know through an intimate, personal experience. See, there's knowing and there's knowing. Maybe there's more for us to know about Jesus in a way that brings healing and wholeness and transformation to us and to places that we don't even know where we need that to occur. So we have to learn to trust the delay and we have to learn to trust him. When Jesus doesn't turn up on time, in, that is, our time, He's not being fickle. He's not being capricious. He's not going, you know, I'll, I'll do it when I get round to it. I just can't be bothered at the moment. He's not mad. He's not uncaring. It's him not giving us the outcome we want so we can experience the lesson we need to learn. Have a try and reframe some of our assumptions about what it means to be loved by him. Jesus hanging back and not swinging into action straight away is not because he didn't love them. Martha and Mary and Lazarus it's, it's because he did love them because sometimes love shows up late I need to finish this so finally last point we need to understand that my limits are not God's limits because Lazarus we, you read the story he dies and not just dies he's buried and they put him in a tomb and they roll the stone on there so verse 18 it says on his arrival Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but, but Mary stayed at home. 
So Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Well, what's that? Well, four days, again, you, I've explained this once before, four days was the point of, past the point of no return. Four days was, was, there was no chance of anything being any different because the Jewish belief at the time was that a person's spirit could return to their body within three days. And they used to literally go and check tombs to make sure that that hadn't happened for people. So there was this three-day window of opportunity when a person's spirit could return to their body and they could come back to life. But, but four days, that was, that was it. That, that was game over. So we've all got our limits, right? We've all got our, these demarcation points. We've all got these points in time that we go, that's it. it it's hopeless. It can't be done. It's futile. It's finished. It's, it's over. It, it, it may be a time. It may be a circumstance. You know, th- these things have happened, therefore it's impossible that it could be otherwise. It, it, it could be a diagnosis. You know, you're not curable. This isn't going to work for you. You know, it could be any of these things. There are these, these cutoff points that say, this is it. This is the final pronouncement and nothing can possibly be different. But are God's limits our limits? Are God's limits man's limits? So maybe it's, it's not the lack of time in the present. Maybe it's the regrets of the past that put it in the it's over category. I mean, both Martha and when Mary eventually leaves home and comes to meet with Jesus, she, both Mary and Martha say exactly the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if, if only you had come earlier. If only. If only. You ever done the if only thing? You ever been plagued by the if onlys? That if only we'd done something different, then maybe this could work out different. And I'm not talking about the dumb things we've done in the past. That's a given, you know, if only we hadn't made these stupid mistakes. I'm talking about sometimes the good things we do, the the decisions we think are right at the time, and we make those decisions. And then later on, life turns out like this, and we go, oh man, like if only I'd known differently. And isn't that the point? We don't know different. We always do the best we can at the time. But if, if I hadn't done that then, then this wouldn't be the situation now, if only. I mean, I, I hate Facebook, right? Just going on record there, I hate Facebook. And I've hated it even more for about the last 12 months. And the reason I've hated it even more for the last 12 months is that a lot of the friends I have on Facebook, friends, um, they're guys that I was in the army with. And so I'm seeing their life right now. And the th- here's the thing, because we all joined when we were really young, like most of my friends and me, we joined when we were 16, right? We joined the army when we were 16. They've done 20 years at 36. They've done 30 years of the army at 46, and one guy's just done 40 years at 56, which means they retire sometimes at 50 on a big fat army pension. And they're cruising around on boats and going on holidays and this is all sort of pre-COVID and some of them don't live in New South Wales so they have more freedoms than we do and they're getting on with their life and they're having a fantastic life and I'm looking at this and I, I start to think man if only I'd stayed in the army if only I hadn't been stupid and gone to theological college if only I hadn't gone to that dumb camp where five people said to me have you considered to going into pastoral ministry no I hadn't And I blame you for putting that idea in my mind. If only I hadn't gone into church planting. If only we'd done this. If only we'd done that. Then maybe I could be retired and maybe my future would look big and bright and lots of money and lots of fun. But no, no, I went into local church pastoral ministry so my future looks like... And I hope that translates. And that's what I think. 
And for the, for the last 12 months, I've been almost taunting myself by looking at this going, if only, if only, if only. On my bad days, that's what it's like for me all the time. If only I'd chosen another course. And here's what I want us to get, right? Because this, this is the decision I've had to come to and I, I'm, I'm fighting to sort of maintain. That my regrets are not God's restrictions. My regrets are not God's restrictions. Okay? God is not constrained by our limits of what's possible. And he's not restricted to what he can do in the present or the future because of something I didn't do or I did do in the past. It doesn't matter that Jesus didn't get there early enough to heal Lazarus. It doesn't matter that he got there too late, that it even started to decompose. And let's be honest, that's what was going on. The resurrection and the life doesn't need circumstances to favour him. He doesn't need things in his favour. Jesus didn't need Lazarus to be a little bit sick so he could heal him. He didn't need to be in that three-day window of opportunity so he could raise him from the dead. The resurrection and the life doesn't need any circumstances in his favour at all to do what he's going to do because he's the one, he's the Messiah. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing at all. His love and his forgiveness and his power are far bigger than anything we see as an impediment. So let me just wind up with this. In verse 38, it says this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Like how Martha says, there's been a bad odour. The King James puts it beautifully. It says, he stinketh. He stinketh. <laughs> and you know what I realised? Sorry, I've got people laughing here. Um, I realised I stinketh. And, and not because of lack of personal hygiene. That's A1 at the moment. What do I mean by that? I mean, when we don't get the outcomes we want, if we don't navigate that, that difficulty, and it is difficult, if we don't navigate that well, then, then we can, it can cause a death in us. It can cause the death of our faith, our hopes, our dreams, our plans. It, it, it causes a death. And, and when there's a death in us, after a while, it, we begin to stinketh. We start to give off a bit of an odour. Now, we might think we're hiding it, right? We might think we're, we're putting on our game face and we're, we're doing all this, but... But people can see it. We reek. We leak this stuff, you know. It comes out in all sorts of ways. There's bitterness and there's resentment and there's, there's anger and there's the impatience and there's just there's a whole lot of stuff that's just floating around us all the time. And sometimes we think that's the thing, you know. I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm resentful, all of that. But that, that's, just, that's just the byproduct. That's just the byproduct of the thing that's died. And it's the thing that died that needs to be revived and resurrected and if that's you this morning if, if if i'm talking to you you're going yeah there's a swirl of stuff going on around me and i stinketh put in the chat i stinketh make this your confession because you're going to do something about this and i've told you i'll admit it i stinketh i've been stinking up the place for ages for absolutely ages and part of the reason is because you know stuff that's happened to me and the stuff i just mentioned about my retirement, and that's if I live long enough to actually see retirement. And I've got to be fair and say, I'm married to someone who does not think like me at all in that. 
this is, I'm married to someone who's like, that's going to be fine. God's going to look after us. And I'm like, uh. anyway, but I've been, I've been struggling with this for ages. And finally, I had this sort of revelation the other day when we were, Heather and I, something was going on. And Heather said, we need to pray about this. And I said, no. And she said, we need, no, we need to pray about this. I said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. And she goes, what, you don't want to pray? You don't want to ask God? And I said, no, I don't. And she said, why? I said, because I don't trust him. And there it was. In all its ugly glory, I've got a trust problem. And that was actually hard, but it was actually the best thing that could ever happen to me because now I know what I'm dealing with. That's the thing in there. See, Jesus actually says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Let's see what's causing that smell because he wants to speak resurrection life to the thing itself and not just the byproducts. He wants to speak to that thing in you that has died and it may be really hard to admit what it is. You you don't think it's hard for me as a pastor to admit that I'm struggling with trusting God? Wow. When I was a young man, that was the easiest thing to do. Now I'm a not-so-young man, bordering on old man with all sorts of things going on for me. That's getting really hard. And I don't want to say that, but that's the thing that God is pointing his finger at to me. And Jesus wants to speak resurrection to that thing. See, it may not be the thing we think it is. I've been asking for healing, but the deeper issue for me all along has been trust. And that's the thing that needs healing. Now, it'd be great if Jesus just showed up and gave us the outcome we want when we want it, wouldn't it? That, that'd just be fantastic. Thank you, God. But oftentimes, the thing we think we really want is not the thing we actually need. God is in the business of bringing salvation to our whole self, redeeming our whole self, restoring our whole self inside and out. And sometimes the only way we learn about that and about where we need that healing and that restoration and where we need to learn more about him through experience is to be left waiting. Is to be left waiting until it looks like it's actually too late. Because sometimes we only learn this by going through that. Right, we're going to take communion now and I just want to ask that as we do, do you take an opportunity for you to pray? If, you, if this has been applicable to you, if this is something that has spoken to you, Ask God, Lord, what is my this? What is the this? What, what, when I roll back the stone, what are you going to reveal? What's the thing you want to speak your resurrection life to this morning? Do that as you take communion. Thank you. I'll see you next week. Bye.